Ready? Born ready. tuning in to where the party at your favorite political podcast i'm your host sava long i hope you had a great weekend uh, if you're like me you've been struggling with this whole actual winter in georgia thing um i mean for real what's up with like these 30 degree mornings it's a little much <laughs> and no snow like give me at least give me snow if you're gonna give me extra cold all right. So one of the things I did last week, um, I went to see my friend, Dr. Liz Andrews. She's the executive director of Spellman's Museum. Uh, she went and gave a talk at the High Museum about the Obama portraits. So if you don't know, right now at the High Museum uh, is an exhibit of the Obama portraits. So that's the painting of President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Okay. I have a a bit of a confession here. So I thought the portraits were really cool when they came out. They looked nice. I was like, this is pretty dope. But I just didn't feel the need to go see them in person at the high. Not that anything was wrong with them. I just didn't feel compelled to do it. But I did want to check out the cause exhibit. Uh, but hearing Liz talk about the history of presidential portraiture and the history of portraiture in general you know, this was something that was really only available for the aristocracy. You had to be wealthy, powerful, and generally white. Uh, black people historically have been shown in portraiture as property, not as actual people. Uh, and she talked about the intentionality of the Obamas in picking two black artists to paint their portraits. Uh, the woman who painted Michelle's uh, portrait, her name is Amy Sherald. She's actually from Georgia. She's a Clark Atlanta grad. Shout out to the AUC and HBCUs. Uh, Kehinde Wiley, that's the guy who painted President Obama. He's known for using very vivid and bright colors. Uh, and what's so interesting about Obama's portrait and why this is such a big deal is that it's so different from the previous 43 presidents, right? Their portraits are pretty muted. You know, think browns and grays and blacks and blues. Uh, but Obama's photo or his portrait is like electric. When you see it, it just really jumps out at you. It's very hard to ignore. By the way, Kehinde Wiley also just painted a portrait of Dr. Dre for his new album cover. Uh, so just the idea that the person who has painted a portrait of the first black president also just did this thing for Dr. Dre that just really speaks to the impact of having uh, people who look like you in those types of positions. Uh, you know, Dr. Dre is an icon in black music and black culture. Gehinde Wiley is kind of bridging that gap between art, which has traditionally been something uh, in America that's seen as for white people, as something that is indeed for black people. So I encourage you to go check out the Bummer Portraits. Uh, it's at the High Museum. I think the high does something on like the first Sunday of the month where it's free and there might be something that is a discounted rate like during the day. So it's not uber expensive. Uh, check that out. 
All right. So we've got to talk about the world of politics. So uh, the first thing I want to put put on your radar. Uh, so next month, February is Black History Month. And if you're looking for something to do to celebrate Black History Month, I want to encourage you to participate in Transit Equity Day, also known as Rosa Parks Birthday. This is February 4th. So our new Atlanta City Council member, Jason Dozier, introduced a resolution last week, his very first as a council member, uh, acknowledging February 4th as Transit Equity Day. A number of community organizations like Atlanta Bicycle Coalition and Marta Army have actually issued a challenge to Atlanta elected officials asking and encouraging them to ride the bus on February 4th. Now, if you know your history, you know that transit was integral to the civil rights movement. You might remember the Montgomery bus boycotts, right? So everybody knows the story of Rosa Parks. Uh, and so why this is all relevant and why you should matter is that, you know, today in 2022, the MARTA bus, uh, our, the MARTA, our transit agency is going through something called a bus network redesign, right? So this thing is a huge project that's supposed to completely transform the bus experience. Most people, when they think about MARTA, they think about trains, they're comfortable taking the trains but not always as comfortable taking the bus. But indeed, the bus is convenient and it will take you to a lot of places. So our new mayor, Andre Dickens, has joined the challenge. He will participate in Transit Equity Day and ride the bus. And a friend of the pod, Doug Shipman, has also joined the challenge and he will be participating and uh, in, in taking the bus. So I'm going to encourage you listeners to take transit, try it, get out of your Bentley and go take the bus. It's actually going to be a nice experience. It's very clean. It's modern. Um, and if you don't know where to catch the bus, where the bus might take you, download a free app on your phone. It's called transit. Uh, and that's like, that's the one that I use to determine, okay, like what's the best route to, to take, to get from this location to the next. All right. The last thing I'll say about this, um, Democrats have gotten one thing right in the in the Biden presidency, and this is infrastructure bill. So it's going to make a huge difference for transit in Metro Atlanta and in the state. Uh, and if you recall, there were 12 Republicans who crossed the aisle to vote for this infrastructure package. And it was a rare moment of bipartisanship and something transit and transportation infrastructure should not be a partisan issue. The a pothole, I think you probably heard me say a pothole does not matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat, it's still going to F up your tires. So just go ahead and support transit. All right. So there's a whole lot of stuff happening in Washington and actually a good bit of it um, has ties to Georgia. So one of the things that you all may have heard about is last week, President Biden gave the longest press conference in presidential history. He gave a two-hour press conference. <laughs> this guy even went longer than Donald Trump. Who knew that was possible? So at this press conference, Biden said a whole lot of things, but I'm going to highlight one in particular. Um, and he said something that I was just surprised by, right? So Biden is in his... I believe late 70s, right? 76, 77, maybe 78, somewhere in there. He came to Washington almost 50 years ago. 
So at this press conference, Biden said that he was surprised by the lack of interest uh, in Republicans to work with him. And my first thought when I heard this was, dude, did you forget your eight years of being vice president? Did you forget when Republicans said their ultimate goal was to make uh, Obama a one-term president? Uh, Or did you think that, hey, maybe because I'm a white man, Republicans are going to treat me differently than they treated Obama? I don't know. Or maybe he said or thought to himself, you know, I've got incredibly strong relationships in Washington, and that's going to make the difference. And these folks who I have known and worked with in Washington for decades are going to play ball with me. I don't know which of these or any of these that he thought was the case, uh, but it just showed some real naivete. It's like he does not seem to realize that the Republican Party that was there when he came to Washington is not the Republican Party that's in Washington today, even though some of the same people might be there. But we're just talking about a different era, a different time in politics. Today's politics seems to reward lies and self-interest, unfortunately, and it seems like Biden has not quite recognized that. So I want to have you listen to a clip. It's a little long, but I want you to just listen to the whole piece here of what Biden said about this. I know some of my colleagues will get into some specific issues, but I wanted to zoom out on your first year in office. Inflation is up. Uh, Your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably... Uh, outperform what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Look, um, I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, Uh, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. But one of the things that I think is something that, uh, one thing I haven't been able to do so far, is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. For example, I was reading the other day, and I I wrote the quote down, so I don't misquote him. A quote from Senator Sununu, when he decided that he wasn't going, excuse me, Governor Sununu, when he decided he wasn't going to run for the Senate in New Hampshire. Here's what he said. They were all, for the most, quote, they were all, for the most part, content with the speed at which they weren't doing anything. It was very clear that we just had to hold the line for two years. Okay, so I'm just going to be a roadblock for the next two years? That's not what I do, Sununu said. He went on to say it bothered me that they were okay with that. Then he goes on to say, I said, okay, so we're not going to get stuff done if we win the White House back, if we win the White House back. Why didn't we do anything in 2017 and 2018? And then he said, how the Republican Sununu spoke to answer the challenge? He said, crickets, yeah, crickets. 
They had no answer. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. And so the problem here is that I think what's happens, what I have to do and the, and the change in, in tactic, if you will, I have to make clear to the American people what we are for. We passed a lot. We passed a lot of things that people don't even understand what's all that's in it, understandably. Remember when we passed the Affordable Care Act and everybody thought that, uh, you know, it really was getting pummeled and beaten. And it wasn't until after we're out of office in that next campaign, when uh, that off-year campaign, and uh, I went into a whole, I wasn't in office anymore, we went a whole bunch of districts campaigning for Democrats and Republican districts who said they wanted to do away with, with uh, health care, with Obamacare. And I started pointing out that if you did that, pre-existing conditions would no longer be covered. And they said, huh? We didn't know that. We didn't know that. And guess what? We won over 38 seats because we had explained to the people exactly what, in fact, had passed. Now, one of the things that I remember saying, and I'll end this, I remember saying to President Obama when he passed the Affordable Care Act, I said, you ought to take a victory lap. And he said, there's so many things going on, we don't have time to take a victory lap. As a consequence, no one knew what the detail of the legislation was. They don't know a lot of the detail of what we pass. So the difference is, I'm going to be out on the road a lot, making the case around the country with my colleagues who are up for re-election and others, making the case of what we did do and what we want to do, what we need to do. And so I don't think I've overpromised at all, and I'm going to stay on this track. You know, one of the things that... Uh, I remember, and I'll end this, uh, I was talking with, uh, you know, uh, Jim Clyburn, who was a great help to me in the campaign in South Carolina. And Jim said, and when he endorsed me, and there was a, there was a clip on television in the last couple of days of, of Jim, and it said that we want to make things accessible and affordable for all Americans. That's health care. That's education. That's prescription drugs. That's making sure you have access, access to all the things that everybody else has. We can afford to do that. We, can af we can't afford not to do it. So I tell my Republican friends, here I come. This is going to be about what are you for? What are you for? Damn. All right. So his question to Republicans is what are they for? I think. Some people are asking Democrats, what can you actually do? I might know what you're for, but I'm hearing a lot of talk and not enough action. Speaking of politicians and untruths, lies, stretching things, uh, Republicans have talked a whole lot about voter fraud and election fraud. Uh, but the irony is... The folks committing the fraud are Republicans. What am I talking about? <laughs> so Republican supporters, uh, Trump supporters in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin or Wisconsin. Somewhere in Wisconsin. Submitted uh, documents to Congress 
falsely claiming that Trump won the states after the majority of votes actually went to Biden. Uh, and this is according to a watchdog group called American Oversight. So as a result of this and a, as a result of all the documents that they were able to obtain, attorneys general in these states, they can go after these people and prosecute them. Now, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr has already declined uh, to prosecute or he's just not responding to media inquiries. He's he's not really. The assumption is that he's not going to actually prosecute because this is 2022 and it's election year. And the last thing you want to do is piss off Trump Republicans if you are indeed a Republican. Uh, just by contrast, uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General, uh, Pennsylvania Attorney General Joshua Shapiro, he said, and I quote, uh, rhetoric and policy were intentionally misleading and purposefully damaging to our democracy. But after review, we don't believe the incident meets the legal standards for forgery. If you knowingly and intentionally forge documents related to the presidency, I you would think that you'd be prosecuted. But uh, in Michigan, Attorney General Dana Nessel told MSNBC, again, and I quote, under state law, I think you clearly have forgery of a public record, which is a 14-year offense, and election law forgery, which is a five-year offense. Uh, it's just kind of bizarre how this, you know, how this is all shaping up. Another tr interesting Trump-related thing happening, uh, again, in Georgia, David Perdue continues to be a big fat thorn in the side of Governor Brian Kemp. Um, in his latest stunt, Purdue has taken a page from Florida governor and likely 2024 presidential candidate Ron DeSantis by calling for a voter fraud and elections crime police force. So Ron DeSantis in Florida has proposed what he is calling an Office of Election Crimes and Security this office would be staffed by more than 50 people and have a $6 million budget. Now, Purdue hasn't said exactly what his version of this office would be, but you do have to remember that Purdue has said on the record that he would not have certified Georgia's election results in 2020. And then also don't forget that the 2020 election was audited in various forms numerous times, and Republican, Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said that there was no fraud, there was certainly no meaningful fraud. So it's fair to say that this is all a stunt. Uh, election crime in Georgia can already be investigated, and this is the case for these other states. Uh, it can be investigated by a county's district attorney. It can be investigated by the state attorney general. Georgia has a Bureau of Investigations, and then also you've got a state elections committee. So there's already the pieces in place uh, for this. Another thing I just want to highlight about the dangerous, uh, the dangers of kind of continuing on this path of uh, rhetoric about the election being stolen. Uh, last week, a man in Texas was arrested for threatening to kill a Georgia election worker, which by the way, why is it always like a Texas man or a Florida man when some dumb stuff goes down? <laughs> this is like always the case. So this guy goes on Craigslist and he says that he wants to invoke his Second Amendment right, Second Amendment right to shoot and kill an election worker 
Uh, and then he wants to, after that, go after local and federal judges. Uh, you might remember that last year, or maybe it was 2020, uh, that someone had threatened Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. And in fact, the Georgia State Patrol actually had to escort him out of his office and they put patrols in front of his house because of so many threats that he and his family was receiving. This also happened to two other Georgia County elected election directors, including the Fulton County elections director. This is just insane to me. Um, all right. So I feel like this is a quick show today, but we're going to uh, start off what I'm, I think is going to be my favorite segment of the show going forward. I hope it's your favorite segment too. We're going to be giving you this week's party starters party starter. and party poopers. Party pooper. All right. Sometimes I'll just highlight one person or one organization. Other times I'm going to give you like a whole slew of people who are either killing the party or starting the party. Um, so for our inaugural segment, we are going to talk about, again, kind of what's happening politically as it relates to the Democrats. So the party is over. The party is over. Close the gates. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. The Party Pooper Award goes to the Democratic Senate leadership, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, the whole group of them. Why? Let's be real. We knew the voting rights bill was not going to pass. We knew it wasn't going to get out of the Senate because Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema said like 5,000 times, we're not budging. We're not getting rid of the filibuster. We don't care what the bill is. We're not, we're not doing it. We're not voting for it. This was five or six months ago, maybe even earlier. Um, so Dems are not delivering on voting rights. They're not delivering on restarting the child tax credit, which is a lifeline to working class families, right? You're talking about $300 a month per child that is going back into their pockets. They're not delivering on universal pre-K. That is for free. Uh, you know, my guess is, Biden has finally come to the realization, a year in office now, that Republicans in Washington have zero interest in helping him, and that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema don't care either. So maybe he'll start to do things by executive order. I don't know. Um, obviously, this is not ideal. We have multiple branches of government for a reason, but when only half of the folks in Congress are interested in playing ball and interested in actually doing the work, you've got to find another approach, right? So Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, and others have said, we're going to pass these uh, bills in a smaller package. So the thing is, you know, about this and why I'm giving them the party pooper award is because Democrats and traditional media completely have forgotten that the policies that Democrats are pushing, what's in Build Back Better, are wildly popular. If you see the polls on it, people want these pro-family policies because it helps the 99%. They want help on child care. They want help on elderly care. They want insurance that actually works for them. This isn't a Republican issue or Democratic issue. Again, 99%, the 99% in America are for these policies. And it's like Democrats seem to forget that. So 
they should call the vote. Uh, every single one of these call the vote and then blast the hell out of everyone who votes against these bills, whether they're Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema or Republicans. Right. So you have that uh, midterm um, TV ad that says to the mom in South Dakota who's struggling to pay for her kids insulin because it's the prices are so jacked up. Hey, the Republican in your state does not care about your insulin prices, but we do vote for the Democrat. It's real freaking easy. Tell the 40-year-old guy in South Georgia the reason his job is getting shipped overseas is because Republicans are more interested in protecting corporations than in workers, American workers. So just call this stuff up for a vote and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, the one thing I will give Biden credit for, uh, he did sign an executive order last year uh, to raise the minimum wage for federal government employees um, for to $15 an hour. That change is finally going into effect at the end of this month, and it impacts 70,000 workers, just a lot of people. Um, that's great. So that they're now going to be getting $15 an hour. But let's be real, $15 an hour is still not enough. And in fact, the, the federal minimum wage, the America's minimum wage is far too low uh, and is not a livable wage. All right, so our party poopers are generally the Democratic Senate uh, leadership, Kristen Cinema as well, and Joe Manchin. All right, so let's get it started in here. What's rule number one? Party. To the party starters. So I think you'll appreciate this. It's going to be about weed uh, or 420 ganja herb cannabis pot. Mary Jane. I feel like you should play that Mary Jane song, whatever you call it. Man, ain't nothing wrong with smoking weed. Weed is from the earth. God put this here for me and you. Take advantage, man. Take advantage. Uh, the legal cannabis industry is a $25 billion industry, and it's going to double in value and sales in just three years. So from $25 billion, it's going to go up to around $40 billion. So why isn't there a cannabis bill ready to be voted on in the House and Senate? Uh, some people think it's because the cannabis industry hasn't spent enough money on lobbyists, which, by the way, is another reminder how broken Washington, D.C. is. The only way to get a bill through to pass sensible legislation is to get X number of companies to hire lobbyists to give these folks campaign contributions to finally get the bill on the floor. That's ridiculous. Um, so last month, Colorado's governor pardoned more than a thousand people who were previously convicted for marijuana possession. Uh, in my opinion, there is no reason for marijuana to be legal in other states like Colorado and California and illegal in Georgia. I think that is anti-democratic. Yes, you can say that's a state's rights, state's rights issue, but generally I don't think that the federal government, um, I think that the federal government can rather uh, take a, a broader view on marijuana policy. So my party starter award, the first one, is going to Louisiana Senate candidate 
Gary Chambers. He is the first candidate I have ever seen to light up a joint in a campaign commercial. So we're going to play the commercial, but I really want you to actually go watch it on YouTube or Twitter, wherever you watch stuff like that, because the visual of seeing this guy light up this joint in the kind of seat that he's in is just an epic, epic commercial. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. <laughs> All right, Gary Chambers. He Damn. came out hot. He wanted folks to know who he was and what he stood for. I actually think um, this was smart, uh, and I think, um, again, marijuana legalization can be a bipartisan issue. Just make it legal for 18 or 21-year-olds, whatever year you want that to be. And just tax the crap, tax the crap out of it, right? Tax, tax it at 20%, 21%, um, and use that money to address some of the things that Gary just talked about in that ad, right? Use it to address the inequities and make sure that those folks who were coming out of prison uh, because they were previously arrested for small amounts of marijuana actually have a leg up and a path forward uh, once they are released. So for sure, the best party starter, the great, uh, the best way to launch the whole idea of party starters is someone like Gary. Uh, and with that, we are done. This is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Where the Party At, your favorite political podcast. Don't forget to go take a, a ride transit for Transit Equity preferably a bus, but I'm not going to be mad if you also take the train. Have a good one.